Hey, friend, I don't know if you know this, but I have a new book coming out on March 5th. It's called Protect Your Peace, Non-Unapologetic Principles to Thrive in a Chaotic World. And I would love your support by pre-ordering my book. Go to TrentSheldon.com slash book. Why pre-order? Because as an author, it helps me. Get on more TV shows. The book gets in more stores. And for you, you get a whole bunch of cool free stuff that will go away soon if you don't pre-order. So go pre-order the book. Get the book. This book is going to change the world. Let's get it. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Straight Up Podcast. Today is a special episode. I mean, I never really have guests, but when I do have guests, these are people that I'm friends with, people that I believe in, people that I'm inspired by, and people that I admire. And I'm sure a lot of you know the guests that I'm about to bring on, but this is someone who, in my eyes, is, I like to say, legendary. Someone that you know I know offline as well as online and is doing incredible things, just changing the landscape of the industries that she's in. Um, but I admire her most as being a friend, being a mother, being a leader, and how she continues to show up. I mean, I could talk about all the accolades, multiple times, number one New York, New York Times bestsellers. I could talk about crazy conferences and blowing the roof off. But uh, most importantly, I just want to just give you the time to just, you know, have a straight up conversation with me. So let me welcome to the podcast, Miss Rachel Hollis. What's up? I, I mean, I feel super lucky to be able to be on your podcast because I know you don't typically have guests. So thank you for having <laughs> me and, and, and sitting down in conversation. What's up, rehabbers across the world? Welcome to Straight Up with Trent Shelton. Throughout my career, from the NFL to sold out stages speaking to thousands, I built up a toolkit to break through negative mindsets, let go of what's holding you back, and start rehabbing your life. And every show is going to be jam-packed with tips, tricks, and tools to push you forward. I'm always going to be real with you and give you the 100% truth, even when it's going to pierce your heart. This is me, Trent Shelton, straight up. It's, you know, it's a wild year. I don't know if you have felt like this, but it feels like 2020 required us to pivot, but then it required us to pivot again and again. Like, I just feel like it, there's not sort of settling into any routine. I feel like it just keeps requiring us to like be on our toes. Absolutely. I mean, 2020 is crazy. I'm actually in a room right now with nothing in with echoes. And I mean, just, it's just shifted a lot in our lives. And just kind of start right there because this conversation, I didn't have anything planned. You know, I talked to you before. I was like, hey, let's just have a straight up conversation and see where it goes. I know you have a book coming out that's probably out right now as, as when, this, when this episode drops. But I just want to know, like, what's been, you know, the hardest thing for you during this COVID, you know, situation or during this transformation, whether it's personally, whether it's in business, like, whether it's, you know, with your kids, whatever it may be, like, what's been the toughest for you? You know, I think it's an interesting, um, an interesting way to look at this. My like first instinct would be to tell you that the hardest part of this year has been on the personal side of things because I'm going through a divorce, and it has been awful and debilitating and and so hard to manage that process and to try and take care of our family and make sure our kids are okay, but even in the hardest times of this process, I have always known that Dave and I would come out the other end great and okay. And I mean, there are days where 
I haven't liked him. He definitely hasn't liked me. Like it, I think that it just brings that out in you, but even still we cling to our family and there's nothing more important in either one of our lives than our children. And so it's like, even in the hardship, there has always been faith. And honestly, if, if I look back on this year, like what's going to be the hardest thing about this year, it's been work. Uh, that's just, you, you know, straight up, that's straight up is I run a company that produces events and we can't meet because COVID, right? And I think that's why I say, like, I feel like I pivot and pivot and pivot because we sort of like a lot of people in, you know, entertainment, musicians, people at concerts, sports, like, where maybe you thought, I definitely naively thought when this first started, I was like, oh, what, like six weeks from now, like, we'll be, yeah. right? I had no idea the scope. And so it was like, okay, well, let's push this back. I think originally with Rise Conference in San Diego, which you were speaking at, you know, 10,000 women in San Diego, I think we first pushed it from like June to July. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that was our big plan. Like, oh, one month later, we'll be fine. And so I think that that has been the most stressful piece because I don't think about the business so much as I think about the employees and their families and their salaries and their insurance and all of those pieces that go along with it. So um, it's gotten to a place, honestly, truthfully, where the stress is such a constant that at this point I can almost just like look at it like, oh, there's that stress and it doesn't manifest in my body physically like it might have years ago because it's just the reality of my life at this point. So yeah, that that's the hard, like I literally, I'm like, I, I'm going to come out of this experience and I'm going to be, I thought I was a beast before. <laughs> like I am about to be like untouchable because if you can keep showing up and keep reaching for joy, if you can keep doing it here, the rest of your life, you're, you're good. Absolutely. And that's what I, I admire about you. Um, you know, one thing that I see in you, uh, just being around you and knowing you is you have a resilient heart, a resilient mindset, um, just a resilient nature. And um, this might not seem like it has anything to do with anything, but I was listening to Big Sean. You know Big Sean is? The rapper? Uh -huh. Okay, cool. So Absolutely. I, so I was listening to his new album, and, you know, I know you're not like a big sports head, but you know what Game 7 is? Of the World Series? Yeah, so basically, yeah. So game, okay. game seven oh, oh, is... Oh, like the final game. Okay. There you go. Yeah. And so he had this line. He said, um, there's always pressure on me. Seven days a week, I feel like it's game seven on me. Right? And I related to that line so much because I know just being who I am, right? And I know all the things that come with it. And I only can imagine in your life, right, from a, the pressure of the parent, being a parent, the pressure of having employees, the pressure of social media, you know, and everybody looking at your life and all these things that expect you to deliver. My question to you is, how do you deal with the pressure? Do you feel like you're a person where naturally pressure makes you rise to the occasion and creates that diamond? Or do you feel like pressure is a thing that you really have to work through and create some type of strategy to be able to use that pressure for something greater? I think that I have extreme grace under pressure. 
Um, you know, my first business that I ever started as an entrepreneur was I was a wedding planner. And that requires <laughs> crazy grace under imagine. pressure. Like the things that I have experienced go wrong at a wedding. And it is your job to stay calm and to put it back together. And I have experienced everything. So I think that taught me incredible grace of like, you better keep it together. You better figure this out because these people in that instance, the clients are counting on you to be a leader here. They're counting on you. And so I think really early on as an entrepreneur, I took on the mantle of like, I can figure this out. And I think when you're forced to do that, when you don't want to, but you're forced to do it, it teaches you that there is always a solution. Like, I really believe this. I believe there's a solution to every single problem. And you can find it if you're willing to work the problem long enough. If you're willing to come at it from a different angle or try something else or, or look in a different way, if you can just stay calm and stay in it, you can figure out anything. And my success as an entrepreneur, as an author, as a speaker, any of those things, I really believe is in large part because I just stayed in the game. You know, other people, I mean, I'm sure you think this too about yourself, like other people want this, they say they want it and then they suck on stage or, you know, it's not working out the way that they want or they're not, their video's not getting the views or whatever it is and they just stop. Yeah. And so much about achieving a certain thing, I think is really just about staying in working the problem, figuring out the solution, because if you believe there's an answer, you're going to find it. And if you believe there's not, then you won't. It's that simple. Absolutely. Like patience, man. I, I love to say patience is a talent because a lot of people don't have it. I'll often re uh, refer to you know, having a gardener's mindset. I tell the story of my grandfather and stuff about planting the seed and every gardener, which I know you got into gardening. Uh, so this year, so every gardener, <laughs> every gardener knows that, you know, something's going on beneath the surface that you can't see, right? You know, growth is taking place. My question to you is like, for you, was, was your patience, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Did it, did it grow stronger because of you saw yourself here? Like, was there a point? in your career, maybe it was 10, 15 years ago, where you knew you would be here? Or was it just, you know, I'm just gonna take every day the things I can control and show up as much as I can and then let the chips fall where they may. So like, what was that for you? Because I'm just curious, like, did you, or even what was the moment that you said, okay, this is real, like in your career? <clears throat> so, uh, you know, shaking my head as you were talking because it was patience, but I wasn't paying attention to how patient I was being. I had my head down, I was doing work. You know, I never, I didn't even notice the time, like 10, 15 years, that fast. Yeah. Because, you know, just like we're in September, right? We're in mid-September right now. You know, even in the hardest year, it's still flying because I don't tend to, I think if I suck at anything, it's probably of like looking up and taking stock of where I am. Uh, because I just really feel like, 
if I am looking around, I'm going to get distracted. I'm going to start comparing myself. I'm going to, you know, slow myself down. And I find that if I just put my head down on my work and just do, just focus on what, like you said, what you can control, what can I affect right now, then I end up seeing traction, but it's, it's not traction that I'm paying attention to, you know, you're talking about gardening. And so I did, that was my quarantine hobby. I got, I got really into gardening. I used to do it. Um, my grandparents were gardeners. I used to do it with them when I was younger. And um, what I can tell you, if you're really going to take it on, not just kind of like, oh, I'm going to go plant, you know, some basil in the summertime. If you really take on gardening, if you start from a seed, you start planning out your garden, getting the ground ready, you know, uh, incubating, like doing all those things, you start way before you're ever, like there's still snow on the ground in some places when people start growing their garden because they're getting it ready. It's a super long process to be able to come into summertime and have this bounty that everyone admires when they see your garden pictures on Instagram. And it's the same with success, it's the same with life, that it takes so much time. And that gardener's not sitting around kind of dreaming of the angle of sunlight that they want for the perfect you know, YouTube video about their summer garden. They're so busy getting the soil ready, getting the seeds, like so all of that stuff, they're doing the work. And I think that that's, um, that's where I've been. I, absolutely did not have any idea that my life would be where it is today in terms of career. Absolutely not. Um, I think I have always known since I was a little girl that I would do something great. And maybe that sounds douchey, but I really do. Like if I go back and read my diaries as a little girl or the things that I was writing, I really believed that I was going to make something of my life. And I think that that is because I was trying to get away from where I had grown up and the environment that I was growing up in. And so from a very early age, I imagined a lot, like I daydreamed a lot of like what life was going to be and like, oh, what would it be like to go into Target and like be able to afford anything at Target and, you know, little girls like dreams of a future. Um, but I never in my life thought it would be this. I can't even tell you that three years ago, I thought I'd be doing this. Like wow. conferences where thousands of women come and, you know, we teach them for three days, Trent, like, no way. I had no, I just sort of follow, um, follow the audience. I really, I say this to entrepreneurs all the time. Um, I am really close with my community and I know you are too. And I am only ever creating in response to them. So they're asking for something or they're sort of signaling that they're excited about something that someone else is doing. And that kind of gives me the idea of where to take the company next. But, oh my God, <laughs> no way I could have dreamed of this. Could you? Like, did nah. you know that you would be here? Yeah. Nah, not at all. <laughs> I definitely, this is from my furthest imagination of my life and even where I wanted my life to be. But I always say, you know, purpose is, is sometimes greater than, than what we want. You know what I'm saying? So. I couldn't imagine this at all. And, and that kind of yeah. brings me to my next question. Like, for you, I know for me, and I heard this, I don't know if it's true, but uh, I'm not going to say who I heard it from, but I heard that, that well, I'll, I'll put it on me first. That, okay. obviously, I think you know this about me, like, and I tell the audience all the time, like, I'm an introverted person. Like, I don't, like, notoriety, um, 
you know, all these things, it kind of gives me anxiety. Like I always say, like, I'm a person that could be in a crowded room and still feel alone, like whatever that means. But I just feel like that. Yep. I heard that you're introverted. Is that true? I would say, well, so I describe introvert versus extrovert as do people give you energy or do you feel like they take energy away from mm -hmm. you? So I would say that when I am with my community, and when I say community, I mean fans online, conferences, book signings, that kind of thing, that requires every ounce of my energy, every bit of my being. And when that is done, I have to go in, like I have to like go into the fetal <laughs> position. It takes everything out of me. When we do Rise Conference, it takes every, even, you know, this weekend, well, people are listening to this, it's already passed, but we're doing a virtual conference this weekend. And in that instance, I'm only teaching to a camera. I'm not teaching to the, you know, 20,000 people who are attending, I'm teaching to a camera. But even in that instance, it still feels like this, because I'm just, you know, like when you're on stage, yeah. you're just like giving everything. That being said, I feel like I get energy from my friends. So when I'm with my closest friends, you know, when we're on a ski vacation and I'm in the jacuzzi with you and Maria and she's making us all laugh, and that is life-giving to me. So um, I love that. I love to be around my closest people, but that, I don't know. I, I think that um, people I don't know make me feel like an introvert and yeah. people I do know make me feel like an extrovert. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. Like, I think I can relate 100%. Like, for me, I'm just a protector over my energy. Like, and, yeah. you know, like, when I'm around my friends, they would tell you, you know, Trent is extroverted to the T. But if it's around people yeah. that I really don't know, they'd be like, he's probably not, he doesn't really say much. So I think you just protect your energy. And I feel like that's necessary in this life, man, because, you know, some people can drain you, some things can drain you, especially in the business that we're in. I mean, we're always so giving. So I think that's key. And the reason I asked is that because I was just wondering, because I know who you are, you know, just how you show up on stage, right? Like, I mean, Sasha Fierce, you know, like to the sea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was wondering, you know, if it was kind of an introverted thing, like, and how, how are you able to shift that into confidence, right? And again, being introverted doesn't mean you're not confident. You know, I feel like I'm super confident. But when it comes to like speaking on stage and things like that, that was a barrier for me at a point where that was kind of a fear. And I'm just wondering, like, how are you able to get past, even if it's the judgment or just all the eyes on you, whether it's on stage or online or being out in public, like, how are you able to deal with those things? You know, just like, how does that work for you? Well, it's, it's funny that you say Sasha Fierce, which if you guys are listening and you don't know that that is Beyonce's persona, that's Beyonce's <laughs> persona. Um, I think it's a persona. Yeah. And I, this is, this is hard for me to describe. And I don't know if you have a better way to describe it. It's like, that is me. That is me, my most authentic self, like the work that I'm doing, or if I'm talking to you, or if I'm sharing or teaching on stage, or even at a book signing, like that is me. And it's also not me. Yeah. It is a heightened version of me. It's like a stage because it's almost like, I have to like psych myself out to kind of step into a role to be able to do that. I mean, for, for y'all who are listening and you don't know, you know, Trent and I are doing keynotes or holding space for multiple days for thousands of people, 
not a hundred, which is a lot, but 8,000, 10,000 people. And there is no way that me, Rach, mom of four, like, there's no way that I am capable of doing that. And so it's almost like I have to switch on the part of me that can walk out there like a badass that can sort of be like, yeah, this is my stage and I freaking own it. And whatever happens, I'm going to figure it out. And if I pee my pants, I'm going to turn it into a hilarious joke. <laughs> and if I trip and fall, we're going to be fought. Like, because you are, I don't care how many times you've done keynotes. I don't care if you have slides. I don't care if you have it, whatever you do when you're walking out in a moment like that, and you're gonna hold the stage for an hour, maybe you're gonna hold the stage for multiple hours, you are flying without a net. You, you have got to have some kind of confidence to be able to pull something like that off. And there's no way that when we first started talking, when we first started doing keynotes, we could have done that at the very beginning. But we've learned over time to, you know, to, to, be there for ourselves to catch us if we fall to you know if you flub you kind of make a joke about it whatever um but it definitely it's i don't know how to describe it because saying that it's a persona makes it sound like it's fake and it's not yeah but I, there's like an energy no you know <laughs> i wish i did oh i mean i guess it's like the mogul so mogul's the tattoo that's on my wrist yeah. that was like my power word the first time i went to tony robbins so i guess it's kind of like that energy um but yeah, it's a it's a bit of a persona. That's good. Yeah, I talked about um, just the alter ego, you know, and uh, I think it's necessary. Yeah, that's a good way to say. Yeah, because when people, even with that, like people, it's not that you're not being who you are. Like you said, you reach to a point where, like for me, it's T Shell, right? T Shell is the version of me that is make the world respect your greatness. It's legendary. It's football trend. Like, so I had to realize that, right. and how I broke that down was because I started to wonder, like, okay. Trent is the peaceful vibes, the laid back, chill. But I noticed on the football field, like I had an energy inside of me where I felt like I couldn't be touched. I mean, it was an energy where like, I feel like I can conquer anything that came into my way. And so I had to find that person, which was T-Shell, like whether it be me being in college with my friends and I learned to call that person when I needed. So I think it's very important to have a, a art to ego. This will be the question I want to ask you right now. There's somebody listening to this um, that's like, okay, I get it, but you don't understand my situation. You know, uh, maybe they're financially struggling or maybe, you know, they haven't been anybody in the world's eyes. And I'm putting, if you're not watching this video, I'm putting quotation marks around that because I feel like we're all great human beings. My question to you is, what do you feel like? Because you've been able to obtain all the things, right? What do you feel like that person is missing in their life? Because I don't think it's something externally that they're missing, but internally. And what's been the thing for you that you found out like, man, like this was, this is success to me, you know, the internal right. thing. Well, I used to think this when I was a little girl and I um, had a really hard home life uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, once I became a teenager, I started to daydream constantly about being able to leave home. And I imagined that for years before I was finally able to make that dream a reality, 
And I remember telling myself, like, you're so miserable and life is so hard and you blame it on mama and daddy and your sisters and your aunts and everybody around you. And if you could just, if I could just move away, then I would know whether or not it was my environment or if it was me. And I think, I remember moving to LA, 17 years old, graduated high school a year early, worked three jobs, did everything I could so that I, I could move away. And I remember anytime I would have a hard day or I would feel tired or frustrated, you know, working all these jobs, trying to make rent and shopping at the 99 cent store, I would snap myself out of it because I would be like, no, you said that if you could, if, if, if you could just get out of that circumstance, then you would be happy. And if you don't find a way to be happy in this environment, you're never going to be happy in any environment. And it really is, I know it's such a buzzword, but it really is mindset. And I think right now, if you're listening to this and it's hard and you had to move back home and live with your aunt and uncle and you, you know, you got laid off in COVID and you're struggling financially and all those things. I know you want to punch me in the face for saying this, but if you use this time to make your mindset strong, because if you can have a strong mindset in the hardest seasons of your life, like I was saying earlier, when you, when it gets good again, and it will, because you're going to stay in it and you're going to keep fighting and you're going to find a way and life will get better. If you can have a great mindset in a crappy season, you are freaking untouchable in a good one. Absolutely. That's the truth, man. I mean, you know, I, I like that you said, and then, and then, and I think so many people live in, in that mindset, right? The and then mindset, you know, or when, should I say, or when I have this, or when I have that. Um, and the truth is, is that if you don't face your reality, if you don't deal with the thing that you need to deal with, it doesn't matter what you add on to your life. What's the newness of those things were off? Because it happens, you know, somebody said, well, I'm a millionaire. You're going to get used to being a millionaire. Are you going to be used to the nice house or get used to the a million followers online. And when you get used to it, those problems are still going to be there. And so I love that you said that, like, you know, fix it, do the, do the work now and fix it. And then when you get these other things, hopefully you'll be in a better place to actually receive and enjoy those things that come to your life, which brings me, and I'm gonna, I want to talk about the book here in a second because I'm very interested in the book. And so, but, but I want to ask you this. And I'm just picking your brain right now as if we're just talking on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, and you can get into it, get into as much as you want to get into, obviously. But obviously, you made some decisions, right, um, this year. And I've been a person that I always think about other people when I make decisions. I think we all do. But it's hard for me sometimes to make the hard decisions because I don't want to hurt anybody else. I don't want to offend anybody else. And that's the trick side. The T-shell side is like, hey, do what you got to do. But the trick side is like, I don't want to hurt anybody else. And I know that you have having a, a big online community, family, friends, all these things. Um, how do you learn how to make the hard decisions? Like whether it be business, personally, and you know that these decisions might affect other people or other people might not like these decisions. How do you find the courage and the strength to say, you know what, I have to make this decision for my life or for my business or for whatever it may be? Yeah, so um, I think I, you know, made the decision this year to 
be done with trying to make a marriage work that wasn't working. Um, and I, I do talk about, it's not, the book's not about that, but I do touch on that. And I do say that it was my choice. Um, and in making that decision, I knew that I would be breaking the heart of my best friend. I knew that I would be breaking the heart of my children. I knew I would be deeply disappointing family members and friends and absolutely have the backlash of a community. And, and by the way, that a lot of parts of our business is based on that community um, supporting us. So I knew the decision that I was making. And I would say on the professional side of things, I have in my life more than once, I've had to lay people off because the business financially couldn't support, you know, the amount of people that we had. I took a company, my company through 2008, 2009, which was awful. And, you know, here we are again. And I think for me, the question that you have to ask yourself is, have I done everything that I can do to make this thing work. And, and maybe, maybe not everyone will agree with me. Maybe people will say like, Hey, no, if it's not working for you, you got to be able to walk away. And I think that's amazing, you know, to have that kind of um, attitude to be like T shell. Um, <laughs> but for me, I have to ask that question. Like, did you do everything that you know how to do? Did you do your best? And if I, if yes, I did my best, it doesn't mean that it would still be an easy decision, but it means that I get to, you know, hold a mirror up to myself and ask that question, go, yeah, man, you, you tried everything that you know how to do. And I really do, I, I continue to learn, I'm 37, I continue to learn this, that um, we are not, as humans, like, it is not our job to um, like, I'm trying to think of a way to say this. It's not our job to extinguish ourselves so that someone else can burn brighter. It's not our job to drown, trying to hold someone else above the waves. It's not our job. And that means like personally, professionally, whatever version of that you want, you have value and you have worth because you're you, as you're listening to this, you are worthy, you are enough right now as you are. And so many of us are taught to care more about other people's happiness, other people's being okay, other people, um, than we care about ourselves. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm speaking in sort of an existential way, I will say, um, I, I've talked about this and I, I wrote about this a little bit, but um, for me, with my marriage, there are parts of our relationship that are phenomenal. We are such good friends. We have so much fun. We laugh our butts off still. Like we've had the most awful conversations inside of like divorce attorneys and mediators and like all the things. And then while we're on a zoom call with all of these people like we're texting each other something hilarious about like the painting on the wall of the lawyer's office like we're the the friendship piece like that always worked um but it was finally getting to a place where i was like man there are parts of this that are very unhealthy for both of us and if you know something is broken 
and you've done everything you know how to do to fix it, at some point, it is only making it more toxic to keep trying to make the thing work, and it's not. And so I made a decision, I don't know how else to say this, but like I made that decision for myself. And I think that it's okay to make a decision as a grown up that says this, this is not okay. This is not healthy for me. This is not healthy for him. And it is for damn sure not healthy for our kids to grow up thinking that this is how a relationship is supposed to work. And at the end of the day, those are the only lives in this that matter to me and everybody else. Again, it's like that persona thing that, you know, people have a perception or they're upset about it. And I'm like, okay, but I'm over here living my very real life. Like you get to check in on me, you know, once a week on an Instagram story, but I'm over here 365 days of the year living my very real life. And I have to do what's right for this life, not what's right for how other people view it. That's beautiful. I appreciate you for being vulnerable and transparent, Rachel. You know, what a lot, a quote that just comes to my mind is, and I believe I might have said this before, when it comes to making decisions, is that I believe I told somebody this. Um, I won't let people make me feel selfish or guilty for doing what's right for me when, especially when those people don't have to even live with the decision, you know, that's being made. And that's the part that I don't get. And like, obviously social media, um, obviously people, whatever, you know, put their opinions on certain things. And I think we live in a a society where, and, and I get it because it's like, it's like almost like a balance, right? Obviously, you know, we have to care for other people and look out for other people, but I'm a firm believer in, you know, prioritizing yourself first. And I think we live in a society that says like, that's selfish, you know, to look right. out for you. And so like, what would you say to that? Well, I do think a lot of people call it selfish, whether it's men, whether it's women. And I think you know, I, I was lucky enough, I had um, Liz Gilbert, uh, one of my favorite authors on the podcast, I don't know, a couple months back. And she said, selfish is a term that's used, that has been used to control people, to control your actions, to control. It's like this deeply shameful thing. So the flip side of that is like, what, selfless? That we're supposed to go through our lives without any sense of self, without caring about ourselves at all because we should be only about other people. And I really think in this instance, or maybe all instances, the only, um, the only sort of legacy or the only way to know how the decision turns out is to look back and see it five years from now, 10 years from now and understand the why. But you're never going to know, like if you're listening to this right now and you're trying to make a tough decision or you know in your gut that this is the wrong thing for you, but you're staying inside of it. I I honestly think like you, you, you wouldn't still be debating it. You wouldn't still be questioning it. You wouldn't be like if you didn't know that it was the right choice. I feel like our spirit, our energy, our being tells us like, this person is toxic, you should not be friends with them. This job, yeah, it's paying you a lot of money, but it's crushing your soul. Like this thing, this relationship, whatever it is, 
we know we have intuition that tells us that something's not right, but it gets muted by caring about what other people think by someone calling us selfish. In fact, I will tell you, I asked my therapist recently, how do you know where you need to put a boundary? Like how, how, like I, you know, everyone talks about boundaries, but how do you know where you need them? And she said, if you want something in your life, like if you want to break ties or, you know, have space or whatever. And when you ask for that thing, someone else calls you selfish for it. That's exactly where you need a boundary because that is your, like, that is you saying what you need to be healthy and whole and to protect your energy. And someone calling you selfish is keeping you from being able to erect that boundary. So I, I, it is, it's without question the hardest decision I've ever made in my whole life. And um, I, it, it took years. It just, it really did. I mean, the interesting thing to me about this whole process is people were so shocked and I'm like, man, have y'all been listening to our podcast? Have you read my books? Like we have talked so openly about our struggles, about our conversations, about all the things. Um, I don't know. Maybe we just see the parts of other people that we want to see instead of allowing everyone to be human and have flaws and have imperfections and not be, you know, have everything figured out. I think um, people, when it first happened, there were a handful of people who were like, who do you think you are to tell me about how to live my life? Like your marriage failed. And I'm like, well, first of all, um, my, my marriage wasn't a failure. It isn't. 16 years, married 18 years together, four beautiful children, four foster care children. We've done incredible work. We've had incredible impact. We've been amazing to each other. I think that the world's view of what a successful relationship is, is warped and, and unhealthy. We as a society judge whether or not a relationship is successful based on how long it's lasted. That's what everyone says. If you meet, so you meet a couple at a wedding, you're like, how long have you been together? And they're like, 32 years. You're like, 32 years? Like, it never occurs to us to ask how many of those years were good? Yeah. Like, did you grow? Did you become a better version of yourself? Yeah. Like, longevity is this thing. So, you know, people saying this idea of like, oh, who are you to tell me about life? Time will tell this. But in the short term, I can tell you, you should listen you should want, I, I am better able than I have ever been to talk to you about life and being true to yourself and showing up and, and believing in all of those things because I made this decision. If I had continued to stay inside of a relationship that was not healthy for either of us, just so it looked good on social media, that is the kind of person that you should be terrified of what they are teaching you. I'm going to get down off my soapbox. Yeah. No, man. Hey, I appreciate you being straight up. It's like you can have, because people need to hear that. You know, I, for myself, I refuse to stay in, and I'm not saying like it's a prison, but like mentally for me, like, I refuse to stay in any yes. mental prison for strangers, like or for anybody really, but for right. definitely, definitely for strangers because, and I'm pretty sure you know this, like when I was at rock bottom uh, with my life, <laughs> The strangers 
you know, I don't want to use the word strangers. So I'll just say, even even people close to me, wasn't many people there for me. And it's so crazy. And I'm talking about this because there's a lot of people listening to this right now that they live their life for strangers' opinions. They live their life to please people. And I've said this in one of my spoken words. The first step to unhappiness is trying to please everyone else instead of doing what's right for yourself. Don't fault me if I stop living up to your standard of life. So I want to tell you right now, I don't live my life to live up to your standard. I don't live my life to please yes. you. Um, and right. so if you follow me because you like my content, because you like my books, great. But if you're following me because you think that I'm the example of, you know, how to live a perfect life, then I'm sorry, I'm going to let you down at some point. But what's crazy is that there's, people will hate you for, end up hating you for the same thing that they love you for, you know? And the reason I say that is because that's good. Your transparency, uh, you know, a lot of people, I crave transparency. Like that's the reason why people fell in love with who you are, right? Like that's what separated you and they love that. But then as soon as you don't say the correct thing that they want you to say or do what they want you to do, they'll start to hate you for that. And that's something I've always thought about, man. So I just appreciate you what you're doing, your transparency. It's inspiring and I love it. <laughs> I appreciate you too. Thank you so much. So as we wrap this up, um, the book is out. I didn't yes. see that coming, right? What did yeah, you see coming? Didn't like, see that coming. What did you well, see coming? So the well, so I wrote the book in quarantine. Specifically, I started writing it about the pandemic. I wanted something that people could read naively i was like i want something people can read when this is done and i have a lot of experience with trauma and crisis and loss and grief and all these things in my past and so i was like well i think i have some ideas for how i can help people kind of process losing their job or losing a loved one or going through a hard season and so i wrote it with that in mind and i called it that because i always think that Grief is so much worse when you didn't know it was on the horizon. You know, I know you and I have both lost people that we love to suicide. And, you know, when you lose someone that way, even if you know that they're struggling, it's still a stunning shock. And so you're not only dealing with the loss and the grief, you're also dealing with being in shock. And I think pandemic, right? None of us had any idea that this is what this year looked like. Nowhere in the world. And so that that was why I called it that. And it really is, it's like, it's the smaller book than I've ever written. So it's something people can sort of get through quickly. But it's just a bunch of different ways to look at anybody. Like if you're going through a hard thing, it's how you kind of break that down. So the first part is what to do today. And then the next part is what to do next. And then the last part is what to do forever. So it's just, I hope something helpful in the midst of this crazy world we're living inside of. Was it, and I'm sure all these, all, every book you write is a therapy process, but do you feel like it was a therapy process for you in writing this book? It was hard. Uh, so I dedicated the book to my older brother who I lost to suicide and I didn't really kind of understand it until I got to the very last chapter of the book, how much this book is truly, this is gonna sound so cheesy, but like a love letter to hope. Like my brother is not here because he lost hope. And first he lost hope and then he lost everything. 
And this book is, man, I, I know that you're in it and I know you're going through something hard, but there is still so much beauty here and there is a way to get past this and there are tools and resources and, um, yeah, so it was beautiful and cathartic. And also, you know, every time that last chapter of the book, I keep telling everybody, like, get to that last chapter. Um, I bawled my eyeballs out every time I edited it, when I read it. And in fact, in the audiobooks, I narrate my own books. That chapter is just me crying. Like, it, I hope people understand what I was saying because I was crying so hard as I was reading it. So, um, yeah, I think all books are therapy, but this one especially. That's powerful. When you, when you lose hope, you lose everything. That's facts. Yeah. Where can people yeah. find it? Um, it's already out uh, right now. Anywhere. Anywhere, everywhere books are sold. Um, if you want, uh, there's a special edition at Target. So if you have your Cartwheel app, you know, grab it there. Uh, that one has uh, questions. So if you want to do it kind of like a book club with yourself, you can do it there on audio, read by me, and literally anywhere else you can get a book, you can get this book. Well, I'm super proud of you. I know it's going to crush it, be legendary like always. If you could leave the audience with one just straight up moment, like it could be two seconds, 10 seconds, just about anything that's on your heart as we wrap this up. What popped into my head, so I'm just gonna go with this, is this will go down on record as the hardest year of my life, which is saying something. And I will come out the other side of it better than I went in. And that is because I made a decision for that to be true. I think that every single person listening to this has had their version of a hard year. And when we go through something hard, there's only two ways. We come out better, we come out worse. And you can make the decision right now and it sucks and it's awful. And I hate that you even have to make the decision, but you can make the decision that you're gonna grow from this pain instead of be diminished by it. So I hope you choose to grow. I appreciate you, Rachel. Like we always say it all starts with you. Thanks for being straight up with us. Thank you, Tred. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the time. No problem. I appreciate you. Straight Up is hosted and recorded by me, Trent Shelton. The episodes are produced by Chelsea Harfouche and mixed and edited by Andrew Weller. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Straight Up with Trent Shelton is a production of The Hollis Company. Hey, I want to make sure you got my phone number. Like, for real, for real. No kidding. Did you even know that I have a community text number? And if you don't, where have you been? So go ahead, take out your pen and paper, take out your phone, and write this number down. My phone number is 817-242-2719. Yep, I'm going to repeat it for you. 817-242-2719. People always ask, Trent, how did you get that community text number? And how does it work? Well, today's your lucky day. Go to community.com and go get your own. Community makes it easy to get a phone number that you can use to build your audience using texting. People just text you at the number, they're added to the group, and then you can text them out audios, video links, anything you want. Like you already know, I text out podcast links, random things about life, I text out surprises, all the things that I don't post anywhere else except my rehabber text community. Texting gets me out of the noise of social media and directly to you. And guess what? 
Now you can start texting your people too. Just go to community.com to get your number. They'll give you a 10-digit real phone number. Not those weird short codes that look like spam, but it's more than just a number, y'all. Your new number comes with an inbox for SMS texting. This means you can actually manage your text links from your community and an app on your phone. You can schedule texts at certain times to certain groups. It even comes with auto replies, so many things. Just go to community.com and ask for a free demo. They'll show you how it works and get you your phone number. It's time to start texting your audience versus just posting on social media. Everyone uses community for just that. So go to check them out at community.com. That's community.com. Let's get it. Hey, I want to make sure you got my phone number. Like for real, for real. No kidding. Did you even know that I have a community text number? And if you don't, where have you been? So go ahead, take out your pen and paper, or take out your phone and write this number down. My phone number is 817-242, yep, 2719. I'm repeating for you, 817-242-2719. People always ask, Trent, how did you get that community text number and how does it work? Well, today's your lucky day. Go to community.com and go get your own. Community makes it easy to get a phone number that you can use to build your audience using texting. People just text you at the number, they're added to the group, and then you can text them out audios, video links, anything you want. Like you already know, I text out podcast links, random things about life. I text out surprises, all the things that I don't post anywhere else except my rehabber text community. Texting gets me out of the noise of social media and directly to you. And guess what? Now you can start texting your people too. Just go to community.com to get your number. They'll give you a 10-digit real phone number. Not those weird short codes that look like spam, but it's more than just a number, y'all. Your new number comes with an inbox for SMS texting. This means you can actually manage your text links from your community and an app on your phone. You can schedule texts at certain times to certain groups. It even comes with auto replies, so many things. Just go to community.com and ask for a free demo. They'll show you how it works and get you your phone number. It's time to start texting your audience versus just posting on social media. Everyone uses community for just that. So go to check them out at community.com. That's community.com. Let's get it.